0: you're listening to alternative thinking both sides of the coin a production of the canadian association of alternative strategies and assets where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives today we speak about the plumbing of the asset management business from the perspective of a major canadian stock exchange that has retooled its offering to include mutual fund and hedge fund trading and a well-connected data provider that enables managers to get their pricing, performance, holdings, and other data to the wirehouses and investors that rely on it to fulfill regulatory requirements and make portfolio decisions.
1: James Buran is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca.
0: Welcome. This is James Brown with CASA and together we're speaking with Jackson Lynn from the TMX Group's Navex and Joc- Jocelyn Corsell with Fund Data on Alternative Thinking, both sides of the
1: investment coin. Uh, we'll start with uh, self-introductions. Maybe we'll start with Jackson there. Thanks, James, and hello, Um uh, As James mentioned, my name is Jackson Lynn and I've been in the business for 21 years. I was a former trader, uh, former VP of sales for some of the largest mutual fund companies. And now I'm the head of the TSX Navix platform. What is TSX Navix? Uh, Basically, four years ago, TSX upgraded the TSX engine to accept mutual fund and hedge fund orders. This upgrade was called Navix. Um, So therefore, when mutual fund companies and hedge fund companies um, onboards their funds to the TSX Navix platform, those uh, funds can bypass FundServe. Uh, they can enjoy the same cost efficiencies as ETFs, and it's they will also have the ease of trading because all orders are executed at end of day and end of day now.
0: Wow, so it's kind of like a like a well, I guess it is a TSX or a stock exchange for for funds, right?
1: That is correct, James. Um, so we built it a couple of years ago in order to provide dealers and mutual fund companies, another alternative um, to FundServe.
0: So is there intraday trading as well, like an ETF, or is it just the, the end-of-day stuff?
1: No, just, uh, it's just end-of-day. So there was no market makers. Uh, basically, as orders are coming in, whether they're buys or sells, um, the TSX, they just we accept these orders, and at the end of the day, we will match those orders and produce the trade. Um, same timelines as regular mutual funds is a T plus two. Timeline and um, it's very simple, simply traded, but you also get the efficiencies of the uh, of ETFs, naming that the orders are all coming into the exchange.
0: Oh, cool. And then another facet we have Joss with uh, Fund Data. What, what, what do you guys do there?
2: Uh, so, Fund Data was uh, essentially created about 30 years ago. So, in the, in the 80s, 1987, uh, Fund Data was created by uh, IFIC originally. And the main goal at the time was to distribute uh, like simple pricing to newspapers. So you're talking, you know, before all the internet days, right? So our purpose was to distribute data to the industry um, via, you know, mostly newspapers, then we grew into uh, the various bank channels through back office systems. So we got pretty good at doing customized data feeds. Um, And then, you know, over the years, the data sort of evolved. So you, you started with pricing data, but then you got into performance data. Then you get into processing, you know, risk data, holdings data, allocation data. You know, now we're processing you know, a lot more risk data and also like fun fact sheets. Uh, so we're uh, we're in the data distribution game and have been for a good 30 years now, right? So uh, it's a it's a it's a good business to be in right now because everybody's looking at the market and you know, the good thing is everybody needs data right now. So I guess we're on the fortunate side of the of the coin there
0: yeah and you mentioned fund facts. so I know with the changes in eighty one one oh two the the liquid alts that added a lot of new funds well, so far, I guess maybe a hundred or so to um, to like these are mutual funds that are doing hedge fund products, but the hedge fund managers, I don't think a lot of them have had a lot of experience creating fun fun facts according to the regulations because they were in a more of an unregulated fund space um, how are how are they adapting to that are they are they able to set up their fun facts can they can they do that through you or do do they have to do it all themselves and then just feed it into you
2: no they can do it all we can do some of that uh typically the uh we have a service uh but some of it they, they'd like to control in-house like their compliance department would probably want to com- control it mm-hmm. and when you're dealing with some of the smaller asset manager often the compliance uh the compliance officer is the marketing manager that, you know they play uh, they play many roles yeah. in the firm right uh, so we can help them out you know by providing data and but but we do have a service that we can offer uh, but our main purpose is to we get data we get the documents directly from cdar and uh, and we distribute those to the industry so so that service the the POS document have to, like they have to be approved by the authorities uh, and then be distributed on the public side of like Cdar so that we can then redistribute it.
0: Okay, so there's Cedar, uh, IFIC, the Investment Funds Institute of Canada, and uh, I know Jackson mentioned uh, Fundserve, but you're 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 part of or you're working with Fundserve a fair bit too, Josh. How how does that how does Fundserve fit in with both of you, or or how?
2: Well, so for us, Fundserve is is just another partner in the industry, right? So in the data industry, you you partner with as many partners as you can, right? And so Fundserve is uh, is a clearing agent essentially, uh, and then. Um, so what we do is we, you know, we exchange data, we take some other data, they obviously have the FundServe codes, which a majority of the industry uses to identify funds. So we need those, uh, those codes to be able to distribute data um, for the funds, right? Uh, so to us, uh, you mm-hmm. know, NavX, uh, FundServe, NEO, those to us are our partners in the industry.
0: Cool. And how about from your side, Jackson? Do you like? Do you have different codes from fundserv, or or how do you how do people trade through you? Yeah,
1: it's a great question, James. Uh, <clears throat> basically, we uh, funds that come onto our platform will actually have a symbol. So instead of a fund code, uh-huh. you'll get a symbol just like a stock or an ETF. And therefore, when the advisor uh, wants to purchase a particular fund on the NAVEX platform they would use a symbol indicator versus a fund code.
0: Oh, cool. But does your do your trades go through Fundserve too, or is that like a, is it like a parallel platform? Because I remember when I was a broker, we just put stuff through whatever system we had at Dominion Securities, and then it went through Fundserve, and then that routed the order. And then we on stocks, we did it in CSX.
1: So it's a good question. So the orders that are coming into... Navex will bypass FundServe. Um, we're providing an alternative mm-hmm. way to trade mutual fund companies and mutual fund products. Right. Cool. And then does that work for the offering memorandum stuff, like the traditional hedge funds as well? Absolutely, yes. So um, we do have a couple of OM companies on board with the NAVX platform right now. And mm-hmm. based on their unique nav, uh, structuring of their NAV, So some are weekly, some are monthly. Um, The the upgrade that the TSX did with the trading engine also includes the ability to execute weekly or monthly or yearly NAVs. And so that's what most uh, or many uh, OM firms or hedge fund companies, they require in order to process their trades.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: How about um, on your side, Joss? With uh, you guys, have hedge funds, or is it mostly just mutual funds? What what kind of uh, breakdown do you have?
2: Oh, so we have we have all of it. I mean, we uh, obviously mutual fund is is the biggest uh, the biggest group, but we also do SEC funds. That's another large group. Uh, ETFs, oh, alternative yeah. funds, so OM funds, hedge funds, uh, pool funds. Uh, we also do structured notes. For us, it's uh, it's very much what the clients, what our our client wants, right? And so, if they want a specific type of uh, of fund information, we, we provide it to it. Right? So we, we also provide stock data, we provide bond data. So uh, so we're a data provider. So our job is, you know, if someone asks, hey, I need this data, then uh, our job is to go out there and go get it type of thing.
0: Right, and you said for some of the funds, you'll have the underlying position. So if someone came to you with their portfolio, would you be able to show them kind of their exposures by by security if they had if that stuff was available in your system.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. So we actually have a security master where we, we need to ingest started and we need to ingest bond data. We need to ingest, you know, various kind of securities because we then need to provide allocation data, right? And that's the geo sector and asset allocation, right? And a lot of the the industry based or I guess risk classification based on allocation data. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Like from a compliance perspective, holdings data is is crucial in the process. Um, and it's not just risk, it's also how the fund behaves. Like, is the, is the manager invested in what the objective says it's invested in? Like there's a huge amount of energy right now being spent. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's gonna increase double fold now with this you know, event that we've seen with COVID-19, whereby all or most of the, the compliance departments are spending time in aligning KYC to KYP, right? Now KYC has always been a, an area of focus, but But I would say KYP is a lot more of an area of focus nowadays, especially with, you know, the condensation of all the fees. And and so there's a lot going on on the regulatory front right now, which is really pushing compliance department to get to understand the products. How many products do I want on my shelf? Am I comfortable with the products that I have? And is, is the objective matching with the underlying assets or the underlying holdings are in it? Right. And so that is, is crucial now. And I, and I can only foresee that COVID 19, you know, happened so mm-hmm. fast. And unfortunately, it didn't provide a lot of people some wiggle room to adjust. And so now I think there's going to be a lot of people looking at their you know compliance department, their process, like how could we have, you know, not necessarily predict this, but you know, how can we make sure that nothing slips through when we have these problems? Right.
0: Yeah, I remember that from my. Brokerage days, you had uh, the KY, so KY, uh, Know Your Client, the KYP, know your, know your Product. Know Your Product came in later. I think it probably started in the late 90s, but then it was more official later. And then from the compliance side, if that doesn't match up with high risk, low risk, speculative, whatever types of products that you're supposed to have based upon your, your client profile. Um, then the IA, like the advisor gets into gets into big trouble. So basically the crux of that is is the information that you guys have there to make sure that it lines up.
2: Hmm. Interesting What's the what's even more important is the. So now you're also adding robo advisors, right? And and a robo advisor is a piece of technology in, in all sense of the term. So how are you able to automate that KYC, KYP process, right? And so you have to have the right data to do it, right? And so we we have a lot of the underlying data, and what we do is we work with the dealer firms to make sure that they're able to a- automate this on their own, either via our own data or customized data feeds that we can provide them. You know, if you're um, even if you're an average-sized dealer, that's a huge mm-hmm. undertaking to make sure that all the products line up to what the risks metrics are, right? Like th- there's a risk rating on the fun fact sheet that the company, the, the asset managers provide you, but IROC and MFDA and, and the other SROs, will, will, uh, as far as self-regulatory um, organization, will still demand that the member dealer still does the, the, their due diligence in making sure that that risk profile is properly assessed, right?
0: Right. Yeah. How about the TMX side? I mean, you guys have tons of products like Everything, really, <laughs> Canada, probably. Um, so what, what do you do? Uh, do? Do you guys do you guys link up with this as well, in the KY, KYP, KYC side, and then like from specifically from NAVX? And uh, what, what other kind of data do most uh, advisors or, or product shops, like uh, asset managers, what, what would they like to have?
1: Yeah, so from the TSX point of view, obviously, <clears throat> uh, the information that the advisors are getting is primarily the stocks, um, ETFs, and now mutual funds. Mm-hmm. So as we provide those informations, we'll send it to different data outlets, and then they will submit those, you know, transfer those information over to the advisors. So, you know, it's, it's, it's business as usual on the TSX side when it comes to KYPs because we're already disseminating all that information out to help advisors right. um, see you know what kind of volatility or what the prices are or from mutual fund side um, you know what <clears throat> what information that we can provide them so we are we, obviously from the TSX point of view we're very transparent in terms of the information that we're providing from the exchange cool
0: so how do you how does how does the, the NAVEX stack up to say compare uh, comparable like for because I'm just so used to the fund serve side compared to that or to other, or like a mutual fund on NAVX versus like an ETF. Like how how would you compare and contrast those for someone that's on the, uh, either the advisor side or the, the product issuer side?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> I get that question a lot. So we can start with the traditional uh, form of trading mutual funds and that's through fund serve. Uh, <clears throat> the information, you know, fund serve whether it's a fund code and when you, Enter a buy or sell. It goes through Fundserve. It's usually a T, T plus two end of day nav, and you know the trade is done. It, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty simple. The unfortunate part with Fundserve, and this is the reason why the exchanges uh, got into this business, is because at Fundserve, <clears throat> bulk bulk trading was difficult to execute by the advisors, just given what uh, the processes that Fundserve is required. So with the exchange trade and mutual funds, that's uh, in in particular NAVEX, what we're able to do is uh, for advisors to trade their mutual funds just like ETFs. Because it's a symbol that's coming into the TSX, um, the advisors can bulk order their trades and purchase um, their funds through their trading execution system. And therefore, instead of Buying one fund per account, they can bulk all their orders and spread all and spread this purchase through all the different accounts that they have. Bottom line, sweet, yeah, yeah. Bottom line is time saving for the advisor. So <clears throat> that's why the uh, TSX, you know, saw the need for this. Unfortunately, at the time, Fundserve wasn't able to uh, provide a bulk trading solution, and this is one of the. Uh, benefits that the TSX Navex has and can provide the advisors uh, for, uh, in order for them to save time.
0: Cool. And I guess what are you guys hearing from your clients? It's been four, or six weeks, or whatever, whatever timeline we're on. I'm not sure what day it is anymore. But um, uh, what have you been hearing from your uh, your clients on their How they're reacting to the uh, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 crisis, and. Yeah, obviously everybody's working from home as we are today, but uh, other than that, what uh, we have heard is a great find. Yeah,
1: and you know, James, so our clients are <clears throat> the mutual fund companies, the hedge fund companies, as well as the dealers like National Bank, um, Desjardins, and Raymond James. So mm-hmm. from the dealer standpoint, they all made this tremendous transition for everybody to work at home. Um, you probably read in the papers uh, the millions of dollars of money, uh, millions of money that was spent by TD and Scotia in order to provide their employees access at home, which was fantastic. Here at the TSX, mm-hmm. we actually had that ability years ago. So um, we were way ahead of the curve. Five weeks ago, we were already working from home, 90, more than 90% of us. So TSX, we were wow. know, really pretty ahead of the curve in that, in that aspect. From a mutual fund standpoint, though, um, you know, businesses has changed as I continue to speak to my clients, Um, you know, especially on the sales side. Things have changed dramatically, uh, especially for the wholesalers. They instead of, you know, meeting them in their meeting advisors in their office or meeting them for lunch, um, they're Zooming. So there's um, and there's webinars now. So there's been a huge transition. Of the way the mutual companies are conducting their business, and
0: yeah, because I remember when God, we would never think about having. Well, I don't know if we could have webinars back in my day, but uh, you know, even even just a year ago, you said, "Why would you do a webinar when you can get people in a room and you know have a few drinks after and really connect?" Because that, that's what you were competing with was was face to face. But now you're you're not. You're competing with another webinar or nothing, correct? So yeah,
1: correct,
0: correct. Uh, you kind of have to uh, kind of have to adapt and, and go from there. And like I say, we think it'll be twelve to eighteen months this sort of thing. Um, how about you Josie? or more are folks um, starting new funds? Is that where you come in or is it uh, all right? How, how are you reaching out to people from, uh, from your, your home officer? Well,
2: I gotta say right now, it's more them reaching out to us than, than me uh, reaching out to them. It's extremely busy over here. Mm. Uh, so and, and right now I'll put a bit more of my technological, uh, my technology hat on, uh, which is, you know, we talk about, oh yeah, we've had this, this ability to work from home for a long time. And it's true. Right. At the end of the day every like every large firm or every firm in the industry by and large will have a you know a business continuity plan right a bcp right so if you deal with a bank or a large dealer mm-hmm. you have to fill out those bcp uh, you know surveys every year and uh, but what's interesting right now is we're in a case where with this pandemic we're actually acting on our bcp right and so from a technology standpoint it's actually putting a lot of stress on everybody because, you know, you can't, as a data provider, you can't fail, right? And so for us, you have this BCP in writing, mm-hmm. but now when you have to execute it, you actually have to say, like, can we actually execute this, right? And so far, so far, we've been, you know, flying with colors. It's been very good for us. Uh, but but you can tell in the industry, though, that, that it is it is the technology is available, but for everybody to adapt it is not necessarily as easy. And I can give you some specific examples right now where... There are some, you know, some um, some prices that are not coming in on time, right? And and because the prices are not coming in on time, it's difficult to then distribute that to the industry. But it's not that the firms don't want to price the funds on time. It's because there's, you know, some, mm-hmm. some not issues, but lags in in getting in it's something as simple as VPN, right? In the in the world of IT, you know, like to have everybody log in as a VPN. Imagine a bank that has like thousands of employees. Now overnight, they have to log into vpn right and then so all of a sudden your bcp is different and so i think that is is uh this like right now in the i.t world uh you're you're really able to see who like you know who can handle capacity uh and who like how can how fast can you adapt to handling capacity
0: oh my god yeah
2: but people don't think about that in the industry right and so that's why you have to be cognizant so for me a lot of people are calling us right now saying hey why is my price not up to date why is my performance not up to date I just haven't received it, right? And if I don't receive the pricing, I can't calculate your performance. Same thing with holdings. Now think about holdings. Think about the the the, the nature of the of the of the market right now, where you know you've got an equity shock, and then you've got the bond market that's you know sort of uh, I don't want to say going A-wire, but not acting as per normal, right? And now you're trying to price all of that, and you're trying to price all of that at the end of the day every day, and you're only working at a fraction of your capacity, and so for me, I'm extremely busy right now. Essentially, just you know, hey, this is how you can troubleshoot. This This is why that data is not here. This is why this guy's seeing this data instead, right? And so that's the better part of my day, essentially these days. And I and I hope the the, the dust is going to settle soon. But uh, you know, we're we're all sort of looking forward to to get back to normal <laughs> whenever that comes, right?
0: If if you haven't done a lot of stuff. Um... Remotely, then, like just imagine, like in a in a situation, everybody's at the office. They can yell across the cubicle, but now, uh, how do you communicate if you have a good question or something like that? It might be tougher to do. So, kind of remember, we did so many of these sessions with, um, you know, the operations and compliance side, and I would say like boring is a new sexy because like the BCP, like you get people there, like in the rooms, which is great, uh, and of course, there as every, all the asset managers have to do it by law. And it's not just you write it down and you have to actually like you're saying, you actually have to be able to do it. Um, but so it's a big test of that. I think it's a really, it's a, it's a really good uh, show, way to show that that the the shops that are regulated that have to do that, they've, they've come through fairly well. And I don't think you can put, they probably never envisioned everybody in the whole country going to their homes, but <laughs> that's what happened here.
2: That's that's the thing, right? And and so the there's a saying, I guess it's, I think it's Warren Buffett that you know he says like you know when the tide goes down, you see who's swimming naked. You can't really apply it exactly to the IT industry, like you can definitely apply it to the to the investment industry. But but in the IT industry, it's you know how prepared were you, right? And and if you're dealing with the larger firms, still make sure that you're prepared because otherwise you're just not gonna be one of their suppliers, right? And so for us, we every year we have to test that. Right. So we, so we go through our PCP, we test it. We also have a, what we call like a sock, a sock audit. Like a, so we have a sock two audit. So, and these are right. important steps in dealing with large players in the industry. But I got to say, you know, from an IT perspective, it is putting a lot of stress. Right. And, and unfortunately that stress is not necessarily seen by most of the people. Now the good thing is we have jobs, right. But it is a different yeah. a different situation where, you know, like it, it's going to be interesting to see how we come out of that. I, I see a, there's a meme flying around in social media where, it, you know, it's the question is uh, who was the uh, the biggest driver of technology adaptation in 2020, right? And then so you got A, the CEO, B, the CTO, and then C, COVID 19, right? Like it literally forced everybody to adapt new technology.
0: So what's next for uh, for the TMX? You guys have NavX and uh, like tons of other... Different trading platforms and such. Uh, well, or what, what's what's next for Navex, Jackson? What do, what are you guys? What are your plans there? Because there's all these hedge and mutual funds. Is it is it privates? Is that possible? Or is there something else that uh, that you guys are thinking of putting on on board there?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, uh, James. <clears throat> I mean, really, uh, the main focus continues to be with mutual fund companies and hedge fund companies. Um, we have looked at maybe onboarding some privates, but they're some challenges and obstacles there, but we're definitely looking, yeah. looking in that area. But primarily the main focus is to continue to onboard uh, onboard great mutual fund companies and uh, alternative funds as well. So um, that's probably in the near future. And really going forward, I mean, the sky's the limit, um, but as of right now, that's where our focus is.
0: Hold it. So these are actually getting listed. So I've done this a few times under various... Various shops like SFU or or with Casa. So if you get listed on Navex, you get to ring the bell.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> and when you when you onboard your products, <laughs> one of the uh, value add is you get to ring the bell, and therefore you get some great media uh, attention. And you know a lot of times um, national media outlets <clears throat> like um, Casa mm-hmm. or like uh, IFIC. Or other media, you know, they pick it up. So, so there's there's some so there's some great, great advertisements done when you get to ring the bell and you get to be on BNN, which I know, James, you were, uh, you've been on a couple of times, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> invited or not invited. I'm not too sure, but I uh, uh, get in there
0: somehow. Yeah, <laughs> you guys have very good security, though. Uh, and what about what you, Josh? Like, what's your next kind of data package or performance analytics or what? What's what's next for you guys?
2: Well, for us, it's, well, first of all, I think the, uh, the alternative investment on the mutual fund side, like the, 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 new, the new liquid alts, I think right. this is great. I mean, I, I, I think the, if there's not a good time to start talking about this, it's, it's probably, there's, not, there's no other time. Because alternative investments, like, by and large, are shining through this downturn right now, right? And so, you mm-hmm. know, the fact that as an industry, we realize that, you know, alternative investment could be sold to the retail, to the average investor. I think this is just great. And I think that this is a great timing to even talk about it more because there are lots of different strategies out there. There's, you know, there's some, I'm not going to name any funds here, but there are some funds that are in positive territories and and by and large, the average and those uh, five uh, CIPC categories are, are not bad, right? Considering the downturn that we've taken. Right. And, and so I think, you know, if anything, this is a, Hopefully, a good way for general investors to start broadening their horizon and understanding the different products that are available out there. And so, to me, when I look at this, is there's it's kind of twofold. Is the, the one fold is yes, that, like the alternative, the new liquid liquidals. This is a great thing, and I think you know you can't talk more about it. But we also have to keep track with what the data that is. On a, on a normal basis, what what is the data that are required in the industry? And for us right now, what we're really spending a lot of time on is there's risk data, but there's also ESG data, because ESG in some ways becoming your new risk data. And so ESG, which is environmental social governance uh, data, you can't lose sight of that. And it's going to be interesting to see, especially on the climate side of things, when nobody's traveling and, and you know, nobody is, I don't want to say polluting, but, you know, there's going to be a new set of data that's going to come out where all of a sudden, you know, everybody taking a break for a short period of time, you know, are you, are you better off socially? Are you, you know, are you like, what kind of countries supported the, the folks that were, you know, laid off and you're going to get a new, a whole new perspective on ESG data. And, you know, so I'm not going out right now and selling ESG data, but what I'm saying is you can't lose that that track that was you know already started where ESG data is and, and will always be something that's important going forward so I think that's where we're spending some of our energy because it is becoming the new risk factors right what why are certain funds invested in certain things right
1: I, I just wanted to also jump in there and I agree with you uh, Joss that not only liquid alternatives but I, I just think that active, investing in general i mean when markets are going straight up it's we all know it's very difficult to beat the certain indexes and where i think that mutual funds especially those funds that have the ability to be very active in their investments maybe they're able to um, to 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 leave their benchmarks or have the ability to move far from their benchmarks, this is where I think that they can really demonstrate value to their investors. Uh, When markets go straight up, it's it's tough to beat the indexes. But in these times, I think this is where active managers can really display how good they really are. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think some of the broader numbers, like they saw the markets go down something like 20%, but then hedge funds were down about nine and and somebody said, "Oh, they must have inside information," but it was really just their shorting. So <laughs> Just if once you're shorting something, your vol goes down. You actually don't lose as much money when markets are heading south. Uh, and there's so many different strategies that uh, that um, it's just it's just entirely different from from the uh, long only side.
2: That's exactly it, right? And the fact that the alternative funds are now available for retail investors. That you know, you now can broaden your portfolio. You don't have to just stick in like a balance fund, right? Like you can be, you can have an equity exposure, but then also have an alternative exposure to offset the risk.
0: Yeah. So how about that? You know, you the Canadian Investment Funds Standards Committee, the CIFC, uh group that I'm in, and then because I remember, like, if you have long only stocks and bonds, geography, that pretty much defines your your returns and your benchmark. But uh, they came up with, and you mentioned them, some of these other categorizations for the alternative side. Um, what do you think of those? And where do you think those might be headed? Because there's what uh, credit long short, long um, equity long short, uh, multi-strat, market neutral, and uh, other.
2: Yeah, I mean, so that's, again, that's a, another great effort by, like it's an industry initiative, right? And so when the, when the regulators then allow the, those funds to be sold to, uh, to the broader market, you know their new rules, right? Uh, then Cifc, which is you know the Canadian industry, uh, Canadian investment fund uh,
0: standards committee, yeah.
2: So the committee. So the uh, they they this is essentially an aggregate of all the data providers, and and we get together, uh, you know, and we we discuss how funds are, are categorized, right? And uh, and the fact that you know Cifc, as an industry initiative, created those five alternative uh, categories, it's a great thing because then. You can start, you know, again doing the standard benchmarking, but it, I, you you could also now do category averages, right? So you can see how a fund is doing within their average of their category, right? And so that's to me, it's a much better uh, representation mm-hmm. of a performance than just pinging against a benchmark, right? And when you're looking at your peers within the same uh, homogeneous category, then you know you're you're probably having a better analysis, right? And so having these categories in place, I think to me was a, a very good initiative. And now you can draw some data. Like you, you know that, you know, you can say like, oh, alternative equity focus was down 20%, yeah. right? Whereas if you take any other equity categories, now I'm just going to make a broad statement here. I'm sure I'm going to get slapped, but, you know, they're probably down 20%, right?
0: Yeah, because you got like 90% correlation there versus exactly. less than 90. Yeah, exactly. Josh, you know,
1: because you're getting a lot of data and you see a lot of the data, what, what is kind of your pearls of wisdom? sort of say, like, uh, I love to hear what discussions you guys are having with all the data that you're having. Um, how do we, you know, what would you recommend companies, advisors or so on and so forth?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great, it's a great, great question, Jackson. The, I think the, um, and it depends on, on who's listening here, right? Like if you're, uh, if you're an advisor, right, and, and, you're, uh, and you're dealing with your, your compliance department, Like you're you have to understand that that compliance department is trying to automate as much as possible. So there's a lot of data out there, but they're actually trying to simplify the data. Right. So they're trying to throw less data at you. So they're trying to make sure that everything is sort of streamlined. There's you know, everything is captured, but it's captured under less information. So how do you get there? And that's a real challenge right now, if you're an investor my God, go get a financial advisor, right? Like, because, and so we came up as an industry, we reduced the prospectus, which was a big document to like two, three pages. Like read read the POS document, get a financial advisor, get a financial advisor that's educated because they have a support staff behind that's looking at the data that is providing proper, you know, analysis and proper recommendation to those financial advisors. I have a hard time believing someone that's sitting at their home In their their living room, working a full-time job, you know, trying to provide for their family, having time to properly educate themselves on on a financial product, right? And that's why advisors play such a vital role in the industry, right?
1: Yeah, I agree to that as well. It's all about value. I mean, you see the commercials on TV and their focus is around costs. And I, I believe that people forget about whether it's active management, whether it's talking to your advisors, that... You get you get what you pay for, and yes, the markets are screaming up. Then you know everybody seems to gravitate towards the cheapest product out there, and you know every every conversation is surrounding well, what am I paying for? What am I paying for? But when you have these type of environments, whether it's the dot com financial crisis, now COVID nineteen, this is where I believe again, just to re, you know to repeat myself again, this is active management advisors the value of advisors this is where clients really can benefit from um these experts in the industry and you know these do-it-yourselves type of platforms um you know you can't it, it'll just go to show you that you can't really do it yourself and, and you need an expert advice
2: yeah i mean it's the the other thing too is is a you know, a financial advisor can can put you in products that are actively managed and products that are passively managed, and you can have both in your portfolio. Like nobody ever said that you can only be in passive investments or in active investment. Like, you know, you can have both. Like it's it's okay to have an ETF and it's okay to have a fund that is actively managed. And you might pay a little bit more on one side and the other, but at the end of the day. You know, if you have a financial advisor that is educated in, in your in your financial planning, then then you're probably better off, and you're probably surviving this pandemic better than whoever was trigger happy in March, right? And eventually mm-hmm. sold at the bottom, and and then unfortunately now they've they've made a big loss, right?
0: Well, those are sage words to end on. Thanks, Joss. Thanks, Jackson. And uh, we'll look forward to have you uh, have you both on another podcast again sometime, and uh, we'll uh, we'll go on from here. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: Thank you.